Okay, good Monday morning. The Eagles are playing in the NFC Championship game on Sunday at home. Russ? Yeah. It's uh, something I did not expect to have happen. I'm very happy I was wrong. Um, did very... you honestly think they would lose? Well, here's where I was, because this is going to sound like a hedge. So I, I did not think they were going to win, but in all four games, I was going with like what my gut was feeling on betting right ahead of time, and at the last minute, I would have put money down on the Eagles. And I would have put them outright because I still don't understand the betting lines. So, <sighs> yeah, like going into it, I was level-headed, and then I saw the Doc video, and I hate, I hate when, uh, when videos play to my, uh, what is it, pathos. And uh, trying to get me hyped up and be irrational and start chanting Eagles. Um, but at some point on on Saturday afternoon, I saw the Dawkins video and I, I started feeling like there was a chance. I have to say, like of, of all the things to happen, I was worried about Julio Jones. And um, Darby made a big play and Mills made a big play. Are they better than Julio Jones? No. But did they go up and make critical plays in critical times? Absolutely. And so hats off to them. This, yeah. So this is. The... I sound really sad. I'm really excited. I am excited that they won. Yeah. I, I think. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a way to do it without sounding like a fanboy. But like, it was really exciting. And without like leading too far ahead, like, I'm very excited about what this matchup against the Vikings is going to look like. I actually, for some stupid reason, I feel better about. That last second Stefan Diggs touchdown that like blew the roof okay. off of Minneapolis. Like I feel good about this matchup, but let's talk, you know, Falcons first. Yeah, so I, I first of all, I think um I, I we got a ton of tweets on Saturday. Can't wait for the pod. You guys should do a pod today, you should do another pod, um, a live pod next week, all this stuff. And um I think it's really hard to simulate the excitement from Saturday night or yesterday or even later today at when we hit record here at 622, um, the first 10 minutes of our shows, we always sort of dip our toe into waking up. So if we sound um, like not over the moon, that's simply a, a byproduct of what time it is on a Monday morning. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't really surprised that they won. I had <clears throat> I had predicted 16 to 8. So uh, it was right in the... Um, general vicinity of where I thought it was going to be. A weird score, the weather impacting something weirdly, which turned out to be the um, the extra point. Um, obviously, you had the weird muffed punt situation on the Eagles' end that gave the Falcons really their only touchdown. Um, which is kind of what happened in Atlanta's first game, right? Two special teams blunders by uh, the Rams mm-hmm. that put them in good field position. So... They were playing out of their... The Falcons were playing over their heads for the last... They just weren't good this year. And we've talked about it at length on here. Um, Steve Sarkeesian coming after Kyle Shanahan. Their offense was a a shell of what it was last year. And their defense, while adequate and playing better of late... Again, I go back to the fact they had two games against the Buccaneers. And they came came in a a little bit hot and give them credit for winning out in L.A. But they had a tough slog... Going to L.A., playing a tough game, winning, going back to Atlanta, coming here in the cold, it was an all-around tough, tough trip for the Falcons. And for the Eagles, on one hand, 
like they should have won that game by ten points. I mean, there were there were multiple multiple mistakes um, across the board. It, most notably the punt. Most notably the missed extra point. I mean, it probably shouldn't even have been as close as it was. And I don't know about you. Like there was a time. I don't think I was ever madder in the last three seasons watching an Eagles game, with the exception of Carson Wentz's injury, which was a different sort of angry. Uh, like around the end of the first quarter, beginning middle of the second quarter, really be- uh, probably all the way up until they kicked the field goal right before halftime, because you could just see, like it, it felt like everything was going wrong. Everything they couldn't do. Um, Nick Foles looked really rusty early. A lot of them looked rusty. Um, the, the bonehead punt thing, the missed PAT, like all these things that they couldn't do, make the little mistakes had happened in the span of, of like 30 or 40 minutes real time. And it looked like you had a team, you, you had a situation where they were going to come up just short and you were going to be, be able to directly attribute it to something really stupid they did early. And then once they kicked the field goal and got you know the the pass to Jeffrey, which was a terrific pass, a terrific catch, like just just shockingly well executed and something we weren't expecting. Have you know, giving what we had seen thus far in the first half, and then to get the three points and pull it to uh, ten to nine. To me, like I felt calm ever since then because it was for all intents and purposes a tie game. It, you know, regardless of the fact they were down one, the game wasn't going to end 10 to 9. So, at that point, it's next score takes the lead anyway. So, you you've more or less tied the game up. They have momentum going in their direction, and of all the things that went wrong in the first two quarters, they were only they were effectively tied against the Falcons at home. And from that point on, I wasn't really anxious until until after the Falcons got that big first down on their last drive and you realized that we were thought we were going to see the game we have seen so many times here over the last five or six years where the other team was just going to milk the clock down to under a minute punch it in and leave us no time and we were just going to simply run out of time Um, and to get the stop on fourth is the Eagles obviously seemed to know what play was coming. There's tons of quotes from Malcolm Jenkins about how as soon as they came out of the huddle, they knew what was going on. And um, I, I noticed that throughout the game. I think there was multiple occasions where the Falcons lined up and you had Jenkins or linebackers running back and forth to each other, not scrambling to get someone, but like with a very assertive points, it, you know, indicating that they knew exactly what they thought was coming. And uh, I thought the defense did an excellent job and it's playing its best football uh, of the season right now. Like, look at the Raiders game. You could throw out the Cowboys game. Um, but everyone wants to talk about those Rams and Giants games. I look at the Raiders game and this Falcons game and say this defense can beat anybody in the league. Anybody. Any single team in this league. Watching this this front, this defensive front, take on Matt Ryan and, and Fletcher Cox have his way against you know, what I, I would consider a pretty decent Atlanta Falcons offensive line, my my mouth was just watering about the uh, the possibilities of, of what they're going to do to wreck Keenum. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think that you can talk about the Falcons game without kind of leading to what Minnesota is going to look like. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I guess that's part of it. It's just, I like, I, there's a... I feel like this game is worth celebrating because it's very easy to turn the page now and say, okay, well, we got the NFC championship at home. Um, but like there's, they're three and a half point underdogs. And this, this is a much tougher slog than the underdogs. Falcons game. Like the, the Falcons, 
they should have beat the Falcons with or without Carson Wentz. And I think the line was solely based on the fact that Nick Foles had looked as bad as he had. The minute Wentz went down, no one thought that it, it was the Eagles would be an underdog at home to the Falcons. And then Foles and the team in general looked terrible for a week and a half and then put it together a little bit, a lot of bit defensively. And then they were disrespected at home. You get the home dogs thing. You know, I don't think this game was as close as the score even indicated. The defense didn't really even flex until that last drive. And again, you you spotted the Falcons. You gave the Falcons their touchdown, more or less. Um, They they really did not drive down the field once and earn a touchdown. So, you know, on one hand, you say, okay, well, how could you say they should have won easily when it was as close as it was? Well, because I think the the layoff actually hurt them in that first quarter and a half and and cost them an offensive drive and and the special teams drive and and all this stuff. Um, And really, it was a more... To me, it was more of like a 10-point game. I know that sounds weird, but the point is, like, we're going to turn the page to the Vikings, and, you know, I feel like we need to somehow celebrate the fact that, like, we've shit, I've shit all over Doug Peterson over the over the last year and a half, and Howie Roseman, to a lesser extent, and, and Nick Foles, and, and whatever. This team... The fact that they're in the NFC Championship this year is is downright remarkable, with or without wins. The fact that they're the number one team and are playing an NFC Championship game at home is something I don't think any of us expected. Um, and to do it in these last few games, if you want to consider, you know, they're three and one now without wins, four and one if you count the end of the Rams game. I mean, what they're doing is is downright remarkable. And the coaching job that Doug Peterson has done, you talked a little bit about his offensive plays. Um, I, I there were some things I could definitely nitpick from Sunday. I didn't like them getting cute around the goal line at that one point uh, when they tried to run that play to Aguilar. I remember saying uh, to my when dad, "Who collided at the goal line?" Yeah, I mean, I, on one hand, I like the creativity. On the other hand, you got two really big, effective running backs and a good offensive line. And I know that we can, we would, on the flip side, criticize him for being too predictable. Um, I had said to my dad at that point, I said, is he going to dust off the old Andy Reid shovel pass here? And he didn't. Um, it, he did something that was it was markedly worse. Um, so you could definitely like nitpick little things. But once again, it, it seems every single game with Doug Peterson as coach, they're in a position to win the game, regardless of, of how things are going. Um, and you talked about Foles not really airing it out and they trying it or them trying it early and it, it not paying off and not throwing deep and all this stuff. They just find ways to always, always, always be in a position to win the game. And I thought Jim Schwartz's defense was excellent. They didn't over-blitz. Uh, they did a nice job of sitting back. All the things Adam talked about, and I wish he was here um, on Monday. We're not sure where he is, probably sleeping. But uh, all the things he talked about um, you know, came to fruition. He talked about the Patriots not over, you know, not being overly aggressive in the playoffs on defense and letting other teams make mistakes or holding them in check and not giving up the big play. It's exactly what the Eagles did. You mentioned Julio Jones earlier. To me, he is such a terrific talent, but he is very all or nothing. You know, he'll have these huge 200-yard games that will blow everybody's socks off every single season, and then I'll have a couple of other 100-plus-yard games. He doesn't get in the end zone a lot. He scored three regular season touchdowns this year. Part well, of bigger, that is the bigger issue is I think they said that he was one of eight. It was like one out of eighteen attempts that they had they had done like a fade route to him in the end zone, had resulted in a touchdown. 
and they yeah. tried like at with with the game on the line I totally understand why you want to force the ball to your best player your best receiver but like it was an ineffective play all year the play design was ineffective and that final play that they ended up running for him like it was the most one-dimensional play you could have had and like that's why it was what three or four guys I think it was Jenkins and Graham and somebody else in the post game had even said that like once they called out that last play everybody knew what it was and they all called it out and Ryan didn't audible out of it they knew exactly where it was going and they knew exactly how it was going to work and honestly like uh, I could not design an NFL offense, but I, I could very easily assess that that was a stupid call on on like your your playoff life on the line, keeping your season going, and you're going to roll out for a pass that, like I said, 18 times you tried it, and like one time all year you connected in the end zone. Um, it was just, that was poor play calling. It's weird because like in a, in a sense, like I think a lot of people are confident about how this game played out. And then like uh, at the same time, like if, I don't know how often you do this, but I like to to check the other team's Twitter. And so when you would check Falcons, like hashtag Falcons on uh, on Twitter, most of the people, interestingly enough, like some of them were mad that Jones didn't come up with the ball. That's fair. But most of it was people calling for Sarkeesian's job, which they should be doing. Because for for how dynamic their offense was last year, to watch them, like you said, they're a shell of themselves this year. It just play design was just weird. And in, in a way, it felt like the Falcons beat themselves. Now, granted, you are right that, like, the only touchdown that they scored was was essentially hand-wrapped with a bow on it from the Eagles. But there were, there were critical moments in that game that Atlanta should have scored or should have been able to make the veteran play as a team that had just been in the Super Bowl. And they just straight up blew it. Well, so yeah. It, it's I, like, I... that's why, to me... I feel like my propensity for being negative is going to exist talking about the Falcons game where I'm actually feeling positivity about Minnesota. Like, I, I do think that there were good things that the Eagles did in this game. But, like, that first quarter, like, you had you had a fumble by Ajayi when you finally had something going. And now he, is what I kept and, forgetting and, to mention, and, yeah. Yeah, so, like, Ajayi goes out and absolutely kills momentum. You know, it was interesting. I was at a friend's house. It wasn't house. a finally. It was the first drive. I mean... No, no, no. I'm just saying, like... Ajayi, for, for what was it, the last two or three games that he had played, he had a fumble in each game, right? And then he, he got week 17 off. And that, for me, was a concern going into the game was just ball security, especially on his part. And then wondering how Doug was going to address it. Like, once he fumbled, because I kind of figured he would, would Doug go back to him? And, and a lot of people were upset because in the second quarter, I don't think Ajayi had any or many snaps at all. And then he came back in the in the second half. And and it's interesting because Doug, I think typically when a guy makes a mistake, he tries to go right back to him to build the guy's confidence. I thought it was interesting that Ajayi was out in that second quarter. Blunt goes in. but it, it, Well, no, hold on, hold on. Ajayi ran the ball like a, a good eight to ten times after the fumble before going out. He, It was head scratching that he went out on those the last drive or two of the second quarter. I don't know if it was to give him a rest or what. But after the fumble, he came back uh, and was terrific for the next two drives. So I, I, he didn't take him. He had nothing to do with the fumble. I think he got the very next carry uh, the, the next time they ran the ball after that. Um, if nothing else, it's strange that your best running back was missing for a considerable, I'd consider a considerable chunk. Yeah, it of was. That, but of that I, second I, I'm quarter. not letting like, you go I negative they, I'm refusing well, I'm, to let you go negative. I'm refusing I'm to let you not, go. But I'm not going you negative. Are. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that I, I think it's very strange 
I think it's like a strange decision to like go back to Blunt. Clement had one carry. Like, I just think it was a little bit weird. Now, I, I get that Blunt is a veteran. I get that you brought him in to make big plays. Like, I get that. And I think it is, it's accurate and it's right. And it's a good no, thing to I, do. And I, but, and I, so, yeah, I think what you're, what I'm you're not saying. trying to be negative. If it's coming off that way, I don't mean it to. I was just worried because Ajayi is a guy that I think the boomer bust potential is so high. And he proved that he can be a reliable guy in the playoffs with that, you know, that one fumble taken out. Yeah, so I I think I think what you're getting at is is the same point I was getting at earlier that like there are definitely little things to to nitpick here, um, but overall like the fact that you it's it's really hard to complain about anything about Doug Peterson or any of the coaching. I, I, I that's that's what I was getting at. There are little things you can go back to this game, and had they lost, it would have been an all timer. And, and when I say the way I felt during the first and second quarter. I remember thinking, "Oh my God, if they lose, this is going to be this is going to be Cataldi outside the Novacare with uh, a bullhorn, because you had these horrific special teams mistakes, the fumble, the decision then to to switch to Blunt after Ajayi was chewing them up. Like this was going to be the game where where we're just going to lose our minds because they were in a position to win. It did feel like it was going that way for a little while, and then it kind of for a, a few minutes on that fourth quarter drive it felt like it was going that way and I think that was part of the euphoria on the play to Jones because we've seen how this ends. we know how this that drive ends for the Eagles and it usually doesn't end in a pass sailing over the arguably the best receiver in the NFL's head and the Eagles winning the game um that was it was such this weird sort of like I think everybody watching that drive was just expecting doom and then to see the Eagles come out on top was such a reversal of roles that it was it was hard to comprehend for a moment almost. And the Falcons, like if you recall the play before the fourth down, uh, it was the throw to um, was it Jones or Sanu who caught the ball in the two. Uh, I remember. Doesn't really matter. I think, I think it was Jones. Jones. Yeah. So, but the because Jones had like interestingly enough, the one guy that you couldn't leave open. At multiple times in the game, ended up making a wide open reception, picking and gouging, gouging well, you for yards. A couple times, it was Darby slipped on one play, and he was wide open on the little out route. Um, you know that that was a good pass on the third and third and ten or whatever it was. But they reviewed it, and I'm th- most people are probably thinking, okay, well, make this incomplete, make it fourth and ten from the ten or fourth and goal from the ten. Uh, in a weird way, I was actually glad that the and the call should have held. They, they, there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it. I was glad that they wound up with the ball in the two because I thought they were going to run it. And the reason for the Falcons' lack of success this year, more than anything, is the is the fact that their running game isn't as dynamic and consistent as it was last year with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. And if there's one thing the Eagles have been flawless in the entire season, with the exception of the Todd Gurley game, which a lot of teams can say is their ability to stop the run and I thought on fourth and two I was like well this is great because now you put the Falcons in a situation where they're going to have to run the ball and if this season comes down to one play I want it to come down to the Eagles defense having to stop a run Uh, I felt better about that situation than them throwing the ball from the 10 yard line where the field is now more spread you give yourself twice as twice as much room and you got to hang around 
in a zone while they're sending guys across the goal line and you allow Matt Ryan a little bit of time. I actually wanted the fourth and two because it makes throwing tougher. And if they have to run it, that's the Eagles' strength. I was surprised that they threw it. Um, I, the play call, obviously the Eagles knew what was coming. It wasn't entirely unpredictable going to your best receiver at the on the edge of the end zone. Um, I actually thought Matt Ryan made a great play, given the circumstance, given the fact that he was he was caught on the edge and forced backwards. The fact that they didn't get him was surprising, and him throwing the ball up and Julio still having a chance. Um, I actually give credit to Matt Ryan; he could not have he could not have played that better. Uh, and it was just you know just out of the grasp of Jones. So like, so, so to correct myself from before, while you were doing that, I had to look this up really quick. Ajayi played five more. Pl- well, he got he was involved in five more plays after that fumble in the first quarter. He had one snap, uh, one carry in the second quarter, and then he was MIA for the rest of the half. It's important yeah. to fact check. Sure. But yeah, you were yes. right. He did. He did go back out for the next drive. He did. He killed it on but the next drive. That was what made it so he alarming that and he wasn't back that out he wasn't there, there in the he, second. He was crushing yeah. it. There was a lot of throws, short throws to to Clement. And a Adam, welcome. Blunt, blunt rushes. Hello. I'm not going to ruin the record by coming on, am I? Uh, no, you're good. Okay. If you do, it'll be okay. It'll, it'll the the old tonight. vaunted gets up at five fifty, but then can't stay awake till six ten. Um, Man, yesterday was an amazing day of football. The Eagles' win, though, was ugh. How, so, where, where, where are you guys at right now? So we're just—I go- mean, we're going through the Falcons game. Yeah, um, I don't. I, I'm kind of over. What? But yeah, Ru- Russ is Russ is the like. Fuck, are you talking about? He wanted to talk about the Falcons game for two minutes and then move on to the Vikings. And and his first no, point, your insane. first point, Russ, about the Falcons game was arguing that Ajayi didn't get uh, enough touches. Were you negative the whole game when you were watching? <laughs> Me? Yeah, like were you watching with what a pouty you, face? That was a great you, what game. Did, what did you expect? No, like the first quarter, first quarter after the Ajayi fumble. See, I was at a friend's house, and we left by the first quarter because what? everybody because everybody got so negative, and there were dogs. There were there were dogs that were uh, you know dog playing. So and it's funny. Kids, my kids, my dogs dad, along, my dad but, was at the game with my brother, and I was talking to him Sunday morning, and I said, "What was it like?" And he goes. It was honestly really stressful. Uh, he said the energy was just very stressful. And it's funny because I was watching the game uh, with some people, and they were commenting on how the crowd seemed a little quiet early. And it is stressful because what have we been talking about for the last three, four weeks? We've been talking more about survive and advance and, oh, the sky is falling and Nick Foles stinks. And it was turning out just like the Falcons-Rams game where – you get a fumbled punt. You get a Jay Ajayi fumble. You get a few calls that aren't going your way. You get a Matt Ryan spin dump off touchdown where you're going, are you kidding me? Like he completed that. So yeah, the sky was falling, but it's funny. Before the ball went off Keanu Neal's knee, Nick Foles had thrown for 66 yards. After it hit his knee, he threw for 180 yards. Uh, for me, that was the turning point, the completion of Torrey Smith, and then he threw it to Nelson Aguilar, and they got the field goal. And then the second half, I went, who is this Nick Foles? This is a thing of beauty. I was getting pumped. That's the uh, positivity know, that we need. That That's what we need. You know, the, I think Foles, like, he looked really bad on those first few throws, and you're thinking, oh, God, here we go again. And to, And this is one of the things we were talking about, Adam, was the fact that, like, this game looked like it was going down the most – 
I was expecting this to be an all-timer sports talk radio week because there were going to be so many plays you could point to and say, I can't believe they lost this game on on uh, fluke plays, bad turnovers, a missed PAT. There's going to be a number of things that we could look at and, and commiserate about for the next eight to nine months. Well, then uh, let's do the same this... thing with this podcast because apparently you guys were on here for 40 minutes talking about negativity? No, 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 no. Um, I hope not. Well, for, first of all, it was t- probably 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, and no, it, my, my whole thing is that there were things that I took away that were positive. I feel better for, for whatever reason about looking ahead to the Minnesota matchup than I do about the Atlanta game. Russ, take away that they won. I'm happy they yeah, won. See, here's the difference, Russ. Um, and I know I don't want to come in here like a ball of fire. So I'm going to come, come in like down. a ball no, fire. We need a it's ball okay. fire. Okay, ball so, fire. All so, rage quit. So my thing is this: is it's okay to think about performance and stuffs in the regular season. It's okay to think about potential, what they could be like in the regular season. The Eagles are in the final four. The Eagles beat Matt Ryan and the Super Bowl representatives from the NFC Atlanta Falcons. You celebrate now. No, the Adam sliding scale is no longer existing. Right now, I can't even believe that they're here. I can't believe that the defense did that. Nigel Bradham was a stud. Fletcher Cox is an all-timer. Brandon Graham was everywhere. Jalen Mills has fallen on Julio Jones, and it's working. Donnie Jones is putting him on the 15. Doug Peterson's calling what needs to be called. This is not about, oh, they were like, they were okay, but I wanted them to win by 25. They beat the Falcons in the freaking playoffs, and they're in the final four against Case Keenum outside with a game starting at damn near seven. With the degrees going to be under 30, they got a chance. And I don't know if you saw, but Blake Bortles was one of the other four teams, and Tom Brady and Belichick would be the ultimate redemption story. The last time both quarters coordinators left the Patriots in the same year. It was Romeo Cornell and Charlie Weiss, and they played the Eagles in the Super Bowl. I'm just saying it could happen. And for you to sit here and go, well, I wish they played better in the first quarter. I hate to say it, but I need you to turn around because the Eagles are in town, and I'm not letting you bring me down. They're in the Final Four, and let's go. That's beautiful. Sometimes you go full Kentucky, and I love it. Oh. Yeah, yeah there's, a little, little, there's a little twang, twang there. in there. Yeah, trying to get a little Stephen A. Smith. I, no, it, I was, I was, I, was I, actually, that. I actually agree. I actually agree with you. And this is something I talked to Kevin about yesterday when he was writing his post. I'm like, we gotta. It's tough because all season, you know, after the Eagles games, we do, you know, he does these breakdowns, and you know, we come on here and analyze stuff, and that whole script is is like out the window in the playoffs because the whole a regular season is built to sit here and analyze and what are we doing going forward yes. and how is that going how do we fix this the postseason we know what we have now um maybe you think the Eagles... vikings you think vikings fans are like man i really <laughs> wish they could have sustained that lead and not had to rely on a pass to stefan Diggs. no the, the coaches don't look at the regular season the players don't nor should we i said this when carson wentz got injured if they beat some combination of vikings panthers saints falcons and somehow get to the Super Bowl, that's the Super Bowl. So in my world, we're in the Super Bowl. Like, the Vikings were getting beat to crap yesterday. Their injury report is going to be insane. The Vikings, I look, it's going to be tough, but they're there, fellas. They're there. I All right, so now's probably a good time to turn the page and to the Vikings. No, uh, no. We have two more podcasts this week. We have... 
We have Wednesday and Friday. Uh, we got to do initial thoughts. Okay, on for the matchup. sure. For who sure. Were, who were you rooting for? I, I was, was lukewarm. I was lukewarm in favor of the Vikings, and and for the following reasons. Uh, I know I, I said on here last week, Eagles Jaguars. I I still feel strongly about that being the case. I, to me, the Eagles' best path is winning these low-scoring slugfests because. If nothing else, if there is now a talent gap, on, especially on the offensive side of the ball with the Eagles, your, your, your best odds of winning are having a game that comes down to one score because one, one fluke defensive play, one big offensive play, whatever it is, can change the outcome of the game. If you had to go up against the Saints or if, if you have to go up against the Patriots, it, as good as the Eagles' defense is, you're, there's going to be a point in that game where you're, it's, it's going to shoot out a little bit, even for a brief period of time, even if it's like three possessions that go back and forth. And we, from what we've seen of Nick Foles, despite the fact that he like did everything he needed to to win the game the other night, it's clear that that's not in the cards for the Eagles to go out there and put up 40 points anymore. So for me, I'm happy that we got the Falcons, a team that was relying on their defense coming in. I'm happy that we got the Vikings, Although you could certainly make a case for both sides, and I would much obviously much prefer to play the Jaguars in the Super Bowl, and I think that's a realistic possibility. Their defense is that good. To me, that's the Eagles' path. If they're going to get here, it's going to be low-scoring slugfest because their defense, quite frankly, could go toe-to-toe with anyone, including the Vikings and the Jaguars. They're certainly their front four is better. Like I am, I am not convinced that they are that far behind, and in some cases, even better defensively than those other two teams. And and that's the way you got to do it. So uh, that's uh, that reason alone is why I was rooting for the Vikings. I don't think we could just paint over the Vikings offense the way some people want to do. I, Kate, seeing Case Keenum throw the ball yesterday, and sometimes the ball looks like it's too heavy for him. I feel much better about facing him than Drew Brees, regardless of the weather, but especially in the cold. But that offense is good. Diggs is really good. Thielen is really good. Like this is not a team that you can set. This is not the Jaguars where it's all defense and no offense. This is this is a very well-rounded team. That said, I, I'm I'm happy about the matchup because I think it's going to be another low-scoring affair, and that gives the Eagles a better chance. Quite frankly, that was a long answer for a lukewarm feeling. Well, no, but because I could argue, you know, my other argument would have been. I don't the the Saints D is is kind of a high gambling D. Um, it, you know, like I, I don't know. I, I I guess it was less than lukewarm. The only thing that was it preventing it from being like, yes, I definitely want the Vikings. The fact they're a much better all around team and their offense is is quite capable. Um, and the, you know, Diggs has been as big big quick strike plays all year. I mean, it was terrible defense on that last play, but he's he's a guy who scares the shit out of me. Um, you know, they have two really good receivers. And, uh, you know, that, that's the thing that's holding it back. But I still think it's a better game script if they're playing the Vikings, plain and simple. Okay. Russ, do you want to do yours? I did it early on. It, okay. it, was, it was Minnesota because, so, I mean. No, go for it. Like, it, it, it's most of what Kyle just said. Kyle essentially had what I said before and, and reworded it a little bit. It's. The New Orleans thing would have just freaked. It would have. It would have scared the hell out of me. I would have expected a lot of three-step drops, a lot of quick slants. Schwartz bringing the pressure too much. I thought about that a lot during the Atlanta game. There were certain situations that I kept having your words from last week. It was like a. It was like a little bug in my ear that was picking at my brain. Of uh, you know, Schwartz is. Yeah, Schwartz is going to send seven or eight 
leave nobody, you know, leave nobody back in coverage, and they're gonna get they're gonna get hurt for it. Yeah. And all Short's I kept thinking, great game. And all I kept thinking, you know, is watching that Minnesota New Orleans game is there is going to come a point where Schwartz is going to call too many blitzes, send too many guys. And on a three-step drop, Breeze is going to connect with Kamara, and it's going to gut them for 60, 70 yards or a touchdown. So I I wanted Minnesota. I'm I'm not usually somebody who says I want to play the best because, admittedly, I don't care how you get there. And if getting there is by beating the lowest-seeded teams in the playoffs and that gets you to a Super Bowl, I'm just as happy. But, like, there was something to be said for wanting to actually kind of settle this in the playoffs between the Eagles and, and the Vikings. And it is an interesting storyline to see two guys that were backup quarterbacks. One backup quarterback is going to start the Super Bowl. Well, That's think- nuts to me. And I think it's, and it's, it is really awesome to see. And it, it, like, look, the Eagles, I think, have overcome the most adversity of any team in the league. I think, you know, at least through injuries, I think that is pretty much without any kind of uh, competition. But, like, Going into the game, Minnesota's just, I think, a better matchup overall, and I would rather see Fletcher Cox and, and company destroy Case Keenum and feel much more confident about them being able to wreck his his life and his football career in a single game than I would have about them playing Drew Brees. So, um, one, just on your Jim Schwartz comment, super pumped. The only time that he brought the blitz and put everyone in man coverage was the play over top to Julio Jones where they got 40 yards. That was the only play in that whole sequence. And that was when I was like, oh, crap. Uh, But I thought overall uh, he called a great game. The Rodney McLeod blitz was fantastic. It was just super well-timed and well-executed. I thought he had a great game. I was rooting for the Vikings to cover four and a half points. And let me just say, that was one of the greatest covers I've ever had. So wait, um, was did you get four and a half? Because I checked the live line as they were coming up back on the field, and it was five and a half. Oh yeah, well, see, everyone thinks that you should bet on like Sunday. Well, you know, in playoff games where you know who you already like, I got that line on Wednesday because that's when I have to write the videos and they have to put in the graphics and edit it. So I have to do everything Wednesday and that's then it incredible. go and get it done Thursday. So I got it four and a half. <laughs> so the Vikings won by five, and everyone's going, oh, they need the point. I said, I don't need that point. Get off the field. Skull, skull. Like, I didn't care. So I went three and one this weekend, other than the Jaguars, which sucked. That, um, could you imagine how, how tilting that would have been for, for betters and watching oh. in Vegas had they decided to kick the extra point? Um, well, I've seen that rule is solely in place for gambling. I don't think people realize that. The whole yeah, reason definitely. they they do this, hey, you got to come out and, and run the extra point, is because is because of line considerations. No, um, they won't. Admit I was that. such a buzzkill too. Oh no! See, man, you're telling me the scene where Case Keenum led the skull chant in that arena, that stadium, that place was. Here he was, this guy that's been a cast off his entire career, leading a skull chant, and he's becoming a new hero. Oh, and by the way, he's also a free agent. I mean, this is like, one, I told you the Vikings were going to be here. <laughs> I told you. Case Keenum well, is... going to be settled on the field now. Yeah. Well, so here, so in terms of who I was rooting for for the Eagles to play, I was saying the Saints the entire game. And as I'm sitting here, here's the difference between playing the Vikings and the Saints. If we were playing the, if we're playing the Vikings, which we are, we're playing the same version of ourselves, except bigger and better. 
if you want to be honest. And that's why I didn't want to play the Vikings because I thought if there's a team that wants to play our game, it's the Vikings. However, to Kyle's point, they're also the team that will not go for it on a lot of fourth downs. They're going to run it on downs when they typically run it, and they'll throw it on downs when they typically throw it. And that actually is great for a team like us because they're, they'll keep it low with us. They'll play that 12 to 9, that 15 to 10. They're okay with that. And honestly, now that I think about it, that actually is probably good. The Saints, the reason I wanted to play the Saints is the same reason the Vikings were up 17 nothing and should have been up 20 to nothing. Is we're bigger than the Saints. And we could have run on the Saints. And our defense straight up, could have had some advantages against the Saints. But the thing that's scary about New Orleans is that Sean Payton will be crazy. And he'll go for on multiple fourth downs. And on third and one, he'll call a throw to Willie Sneed to then throw it back to Alvin Kamara. You can't plan for those things. Those things are crazy. But that's what Sean Payton does. So the thing about the Saints are you would have had a lot of advantages in a lot of different physical outside positions. Plus, Drew Brees in the cold is not good. Uh, Case Keenum in the cold, by the way, this year has not been that great either, but Drew Brees has like a very warranted track record. Uh, and they had a lot of offensive line injuries, and they lost people in that game. I just thought that we could have overpowered the Saints, but now that I think about it, the Vikings are happy with keeping it close, and that means, hey. You're in the game. It means yeah, you're in the game regardless. That means, yep. that means one or two turnovers, one or two big sacks, one or two fluke touchdowns for the Eagles that bounce off the knee or that the safety forgets to tackle and you run 61 yards down the line like happened to Stephon Diggs. The Eagles could win that game. And look, that that's the same thing about the Jaguars. You know, the Jaguars want to grind it out. Yep. Um, yep. It's really funny. Uh, I mean, Kyle, you have a liquid to take a sip? I already drank it, but go ahead. Okay. No, I was just going to say about the Jaguars. Uh, we had, I had, I just had people that listened to the other podcast go back and find Where the other podcast. Where can you find that at? You can find that on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts no, like, or the who, Bleacher who, Report. <gasps> bleach, bleach, Bleacher who? Oh, report. Got it. Okay. All I know is breath. that all I know is that place allows me the flexibility to be with you guys, and I appreciate it. Um, but we interviewed report. We interviewed Malik Jackson in July, and Malik Jackson said we're going to the Super Bowl, and that quote blew up. But what also happened in that was crazy because Sims said to him, I'm pissed that you guys are having a joint practice with the Patriots because Belichick is afraid of you. And because he doesn't face you in the regular season, he's only doing this in case you face him in the playoffs and you could go to New England and beat them. That happened. Jacksonville could go up there and beat New England and that would be insane. The people, oh, but, and Sims is going to be on part of my take this week. Like, they texted him during the game, and they want him on, and I try to explain to him what it's going to be like. But people think that, that Sims and doesn't like the Jaguars. We, we were cheering for the Jaguars the entire game. 
Except people get this thing about Blake Bortles that's insane. I've never seen a quarterback throw for 200 yards and one touchdown and be treated like he was the quarterback in the game that threw for 400 yards and five touchdowns like Big Ben. Like Big Ben had one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in my entire life. And I go on to even the Bleach Report app and it says Bortles is the GOAT. And I'm like... Guys, they had 28 points at halftime, and Bortles was 7 of 14 for 83 yards and no touchdowns. Like, he didn't hang up 45 points on anybody. I just, it truly is one of the mysteries of our time. It's the Nile, it's the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, and it's the reason that people still support Blake Bortles. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I like, you're Blake speaking. Bortles looks like Ben Roethlisberger. Just a little bit. Yeah, with but the helmet what, on. Not not when they're playing. Yeah, but with the you're helmet speaking, on. You know, you're just, speaking just my language the, here. Just in the face. Talk. I mean, everything you hold, just said, uh, real quick, about the Vikings, about the Jaguars. Like, if you had a, and to, to put a bow on at least this part of it, if you had to say, okay, you're going to lose, you're going to be the Eagles, you're going to lose your starting quarterback and potentially the league MVP, what is your path to the Super Bowl? All right, so you get a home game against the sixth seed, which you'll take your chances with. Right. And then you potentially, and this is why I'm rooting so hard for the Jags, but you potentially get then get to play uh, two like Case Keenum and Blake Bortles to win the Super Bowl. That's right. not to that's not to diss what Case Keenum has done this year. Not at all. He's had a great year, and he will be paid accordingly. But I agree. But with he's you. not Drew Brees. He's not Tom Brady. He's and that offense is what's that? It's, it's he's the, a backup quarterback who will get it, eaten alive. Well, I'm actually no, very positive. That's Can, wrong. what. See, he okay. won't, no, because he's not a backup quarterback, and he's not going to like. I just don't understand how you don't look at the last fifteen games and go, "Holy fuck, he's kind of an MVP candidate." Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I totally well, agree. Russ but, uh, yeah, Russ was just shit. The up. one time, I, the one time I get positive, the one time. <laughs> oh well, I'm a I'm a staunch Case Keenum defender. Yeah, that's Sorry. fine. I, I just I, I like Case. I think if they had their druthers, they would have rather have Teddy Bridgewater, right? Like a healthy Bridgewater, I think, is the yeah, well, guy that they would have their obsession, with, so. their obsession with Teddy Bridgewater is insane. Teddy Bridgewater is so overrated. It's crazy. And I love Teddy. I covered him at Louisville. I love that guy. But this is the funny thing about playoff legacy. What if Case Keenan threw a pick on that last drive instead of a touchdown? He'd finish with 240, no touchdowns, and two picks. And people go, oh, he sucks. But instead, he becomes a 300-yard passer with one touchdown. And all of a sudden, what a great game. That's, just, that's why stats are bullshit. Like I'm, there's, Just look at the game and you know exactly what happened. But Kyle, what you, what you were going to say was, yes, it's three teams that are great teams with average quarterbacks and the Patriots. And the fact that that's our odds is fantastic. It's I've the had, weirdest season ever. I've had multiple people submit to me yesterday uh, that this was beginning to feel like the 2008 Phillies where you have an, a young, uh, an upstart, slightly out of surprising at least, Florida team go up to Boston and take on the big bad team from New England, beat them, and face the Philadelphia team in the in the finals, and, and then and, somehow there's and a we get delay. a little bit of a gift by not having to play the most talented team in the league. And uh, I I've heard worse theories. I like it. I'm all in. If I'm all in Eagles on that. If the Eagles play the Jaguars, and I'm I'm going to be there, which is something we're going to have to figure out for this show because I'm going to be there the entire week. Um, Super Bowl. Yeah. 
And then, <laughs> and if the Eagle, if the Eagles are playing, I'm totally getting in that game. But if the Super Bowl comes down to the Eagles versus Blake Bortles, like my head's gonna explode because that's like everything I've been talking about for five months. I don't even. That's insane. And I remember what are, what are the odds that they actually do go up and win? It, uh, well, I mean, now we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Uh, the odds right now that they win the Super Bowl would be 15%. No, I don't mean win the Super Bowl. I mean, like, what are the odds that Jacksonville actually goes up to New England oh. and beats New England? Um, What's the line, Adam? The line is Patriots minus nine. Okay. Um, Not bad. That seems... I, I look at it like this, Russ. The, the Jaguars are bigger and stronger at almost every position than the Patriots. They really are. Like, they could go out there and fly around. The problem, though, is, is that the Patriots have seen this type of defensive scheme. They've seen the prime Seattle Seahawks running a similar scheme. But even this Jaguars defense, I think, is more talented than some of those Seattle teams because of their front guys. Um it's just about whether or not they're going to be able to score. I, they can. I would put the, the Jaguars winning at like 20%. Like, it's not that bad. Yeah, but it's still, but it's 80% Patriots. I just didn't understand. Like, I, I didn't watch any Jaguars games all year, and it wasn't until like two weeks ago that I realized that they were even nearly as good as they are. All right, so that game, ja- that ja- game was that game was so much fun to watch. That was incredible. Both games were no. The second game was great in the last half, but the first game was great the whole time. Yep. The Jag. This is the primer on the Jaguars. Their offensive line has exceeded all expectations. Cam Robinson has been a good rookie at left tackle. Uh, Let Leonard Fournette has been super solid. All of their wide receivers after Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns got hurt have all been good. Keelan Cole is a very good receiver. Uh, their guy, D.D. Westbrook, has been really, really solid. Uh, it's been a play-action offense based on the run, and Blake Bortles hitting wide-open tight ends or running backs in the flat, and occasionally throwing to a wide receiver. Defensively, their depth on their front line dwarfs even the Eagles. I mean, they have Marcel Darius, who they acquired midseason, Avery Jones, who's a baller. Calais Campbell has been an absolute gem for them in free agency from the Cardinals. And Yannick Ngakwe, I think, leads the league in forced fumbles. And then their backups are really good, too. It's crazy. Their linebackers can play anybody. Miles Jack... Uh, is was defending wide receivers in the Pittsburgh game and doing well. That's how fast he is. It's Miles Jack, Telvin Smith, um, and another linebacker, Paul Puzlesny, Penn State we are. And then their corners are arguably the top two corners in the league. Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye. A.J. Bouye didn't allow a touchdown all season before Antonio Brown yesterday. That's how good he is. And their safeties, they took Barry Church from the Cowboys, and they took Taj Gibson from the Browns, and both have been great. They're literally stacked at every position. They're more athletic than every single team they play. And Doug Marone goes out there and goes, we're the simplest scheme in the NFL. We're just going to kick your ass. And that's why they've been so fun to watch. It was a good breakdown. Um, what what do you have? Switching gears. What do you have? Uh, what do you think about three and a half point line? Oh, it's up to three and a half already. Uh, I think it opened at three and a half. Oh, I thought it opened at three. Oh, okay. I thought it opened at three for the Vikings. Uh, yeah, I, for the Eagles game. For the Eagles oh, okay, game. They're, yeah. th- they're three three and a half point dogs. Uh, I like it. Uh, I was expecting it to be more like five, to be honest. 
Yeah, I think that I think it honestly gave respect to both teams. You know, like I think the line is going to go further into uh, the Vikings' favor. I would imagine, uh, which leads me to go. Uh, if I'm going to bet the Eagles, I'm probably going to wait. Uh, but it's a uh, remember if you're a three point favorite on the road, that means you're equivalent to like a nine point favorite at home. And would the Vikings be a nine point favorite at home? I'll say that. You know, the thing that we were talking about earlier about it being a close game, it's a game that's going to come down to the last possession. And if you believe that when Mike Zimmer said midseason that Case Keenum plays like he has a horseshoe up his ass, if you think it's officially a legit horseshoe now because of what we just saw and that Skull is the team of destiny and they want to play their the Super Bowl at home, then you go that way. I, to me, it's a 50-50 game. Which, you know, if the points keep getting bigger for the Eagles, it's not bad. No, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I actually feel good about this because the fact that you had, um, you had the Falcons as high as three, and the fact that you only have an, an extra half point as of right now for the Vikings, right. that tells me a lot. Because had this line been set prior to the games on Sunday, I think the Vikings would have been more like a five-point favorite. Judging so just. Yeah, and injuries that I remember from the game. Uh, Andrew Sandejo is going to have to go to concussion protocol, so we'll see if he plays. He's their starting safety opposite Harrison Smith. Xavier Rhodes got banged up, but he did come back, and that wasn't an issue. A bigger issue, though, is they did lose their defensive tackle, Sharice Stevens. I don't even know if that's his first name, but uh, the one thing that I think it is, I think the one thing that Sims was saying, though, during the game is the Vikings are shockingly shallow on their D line. And they have some big guys like Linval Joseph and Everson Griffin, but they're like the Steelers in that they play the same D lineman damn near the whole game. And the Eagles, like, are the opposite. The Eagles are refreshing, and so are the Patriots, and so are the Jags. They can, like, cycle through guys. And that. The, the weakness would be if you were to able to hurry up and keep those guys on the field for a long time and get them tired. And that's what happened in the second half. Because if you remember, the Vikings drove down but then couldn't kick a field goal because they got sacked out of field goal range. And then the Saints scored and then Case Keenum picked and then the Saints scored. So then the Vikings were like, their D-line ha- had to keep being on the field. That's a huge advantage if the Eagles can really get the running game going and the passing game going and put together some drives. Keeping that defense on the field is the key, in my opinion, to wearing out that defense. Because we just saw it happen, and you could do it again, especially outside. Yep, that's fair. That's fair. And again, not to not to keep shitting on – I'm not shitting on Case Keenum. I think he's, he's had a terrific year. But even some of his – I mean, the – the catch by Thielen on that on the I think it was oh. the last drive. I mean, you talk about having the horseshoe, like, and something about the way he, he throws the ball, it's like he's pushing a like he's throwing a shot put. It makes him look smaller than he is. I know right, right, and seeing him yesterday and really paying attention with the prospects of the Eagles playing them, I'm thinking. This guy's got to, you know, who, we don't know exactly what the weather's going to be. The weather reports for the game this Saturday were off. It was supposed to, in, right. early in the week, it was supposed to be in the 50s and a little bit breezy, and it turned out to be downright frigid. So we don't know what the weather's going to be. But <laughs> as you said, a night game, like hits throwing motion, um, playing in potentially, you know, nasty, bitter, cold weather coming out of the dome. Yes. I'm, 
I'm all in on that. I'm, oh, I'm when I found out when I found out the Eagles were going to be the late game, like the first time they put up that graphic and said the NFC will start at six forty, like Sims and I looked at each other and went, "Oh <laughs> shit, they have a chance. It's going to be freezing and dark." Like that's the thing. If you thought it was like cold and frigid Saturday at at one or at four, wait until it's Sunday at seven. Like that's going to be so cold. It's perfect. Yep. Especially. You know what kicker I have no confidence in in the cold because he looks like a freaking E.T. like weirdo is the Vikings kicker, uh, Kai Forbath. Kai Every time they show him, I go, I don't trust this guy at all. Like, <laughs> no. even though he makes field goals, I go, this weird looking motherfucker ain't hitting shit. Like, I just, I always get nervous about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that yesterday. He's, he's a strange looking guy. As a, as a super skinny guy, I... Uh... Yeah. I sympathize with that. I, I I looked at the Eagles game just because I didn't get to do a ton of breakdown about it. And I I wish they stayed more with Jay Ajayi. I thought he looked really good early on, and I thought they were having a lot of success. One thing that did frustrate me about the Eagles is to get down into the red zone and then start calling trick plays. Um, you know, like they had the one with the fake reverse to Nelson and then the handoff to Corey Clement, and it, they like ran into each other. You went down the entire field running it in their face. Don't stop now. Like, don't outthink yourself. And they did that a few times with some passes. And I'm just sitting there going, just run the ball. Um, look, that, That's what I said to Russ earlier. I, I turned to my dad before the Aguilar play, and I said, is he going to bust out the Andy Reid shovel pass here? And my dad's like, oh, please, God, don't let him bust that out. And instead, they go an inside handoff, the Nelson Aguilar. Yeah. And you're like, what are you – why? Why yeah. would you do that? I know we – I, look, it's easy to say, well, we'll criticize him for being predictable and just giving the ball to Blunt. I get that. But, yeah, I didn't like that play call at all. Um, look, I'm, I'm happy to die on this hill. I believe that Corey Clement might be our best running back. Every time he touches the ball, it's a positive play. He had five catches. The way that they were using the throw to the outside from the backfield was a legitimate threat, and he's the only wide receiver that I think has great hands. I think he has better hands than a giant blunt. I think he's really good in close quarters, and I think that he was really productive at the end, and he was the running back when the when they were trying to ice the game, and he got the first down. So I, I, I really like Corey Clement. I think I think he's I think it's I, I'm tired of watching Dion Lewis go to other teams and us have all these running backs. I think Corey Clement might be the guy. Well, I really think, and he fulfills the my other podcast uh, belief that attractive players are more successful, and he's attractive. I feel like I feel like he's a guy who could become he's he's he could be easily overexposed. I think in the role that I they want him use to be, Corel Buckhalter. Yeah, I don't. I, like I, I I think he's good the way they use him. The the minute they start relying on him too heavily, I know he had the, the three touchdown game and all that. The, I think the minute they they start using him too much is when he gets a little bit exposed for his, you know, his lack of overall. Yeah, I, don't know, I just dynamism. sometimes I sometimes I watch Legarrette Blunt and I'm like, holy crap! It's either negative one or plus I one. Know. Like I which know. one are we getting here? No, I know. Um, I I agree with you. I I'd the, like. I like how he's there's a there's a certain change of pace to Clement, and I think that works. The guy I don't like, and yeah. I don't know if you remember me saying this in week four or five. Uh, certainly, someone on Twitter did, and certainly I let everybody with an earshot know about it the other night. Is Kenyon Barner? 
I I told you well, we could, we should go back and find this audio. I said to you, as quick as he is, as explosive as he can be, and you know, talented athletically as he is, I am just waiting on Barner to do something so maddeningly stupid and well, cost the Eagles the season. Waiting so long to wave off that kick and not running away, you can't do that. You I was yelling, I was yelling, fucking Brian Brayman, they signed him this week. What the fuck? I mean, all of them, all of them. There's a there's a lot of fault to go around on that play, but Barner's I'm not in a got special it. teams meeting, so I don't know whose fault it is. But I know what you're saying. Yeah. Barner, like, the he makes me so nervous, and it's not totally rational. But it, this goes back to the first time he, he was here. A long time. I I just always feel like he's gonna fuck us, and <laughs> and it's not just him waiting on the play. Like, I feel like he's gonna fumble. There's something about I just don't trust him. And it, he's had a couple of, of, of like, bonehead plays in his time here, the, going back to the first time. Uh, and I'll, I'll happily pull together a list for Wednesday. But he makes me – there's something about him just makes me so nervous. And, and that play epitomized it because you can't quite put your finger on it. You can't quite say he didn't drop the ball. But what he like he waited too long to wave it off. He didn't run away. He clearly wasn't communicating. It was just something off about that play. And it's his response. You know, he's the center fielder on that play. It's his responsibility. If you're not going to touch the ball, to wave everybody off, scream he's and Chase yell, Utley. run away. What's that? I would say he's Chase Utley. He's the second baseman on an infield fly. Right. Right. Except you know Chase would have Chase would have communi- Chase would have ran over and touched each player on the shoulder before the ball came down. Told him to get the fuck out of the way. I don't know. I was I was losing my shit. I was I was very upset at Barner and continue to yeah. be. And he makes me nervous. Just I, I hope I hope that play the other day was the play that he was going to fuck us on. Um, and I hope it's past us. I just don't I I don't want to be right on this. I don't know. Something about that guy makes me nervous. Man, I forgot I that the I forgot the Eagles were the team that uh, beat the uh, gave the Vikings their first loss last season. I forgot yeah. about that. They were five and zero, oh, uh, and then the and then that was Carson Wentz got the win. That was they beat awesome. Their two big wins last year were against the Vikings and Falcons. Wow, that's pretty awesome. And it's at home, and that's pretty great. Uh, but well, I'm trying to think of some other things uh, from that game. Oh, the reason that I bring up Sims, and it's not for any other reason, is uh, th- I really truly believe he is a idiot savant in terms of this. Like he's not an idiot, but um, he just he he doesn't know a lot. Like. I'm trying to figure out a way to say it. His ability to watch a game and know exactly why things are happening, I think, is special. I've watched a lot of football with a lot of different people, and he's able to deduce it down in like a second. And he said to me this too, I think Eagles fans would be interested in. He said, Brandon Brooks is easily the Eagles' best offensive lineman, even more than Lane Johnson. He said Brandon Brooks is a special mix of quick and enormous, and he's the biggest dude that they have. He's like 350. And he said with Brandon Brooks and John Runyon on the right, uh, not John Runyon, Lane Johnson on the right side, that's a side that they could absolutely overpower anybody to. Uh, The reason I bring up John Runyon is me and my friend Dan were having a who-would-you-rather-take going back and forth like it was Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown or Bobby Taylor and Troy Vincent. And one of them was Brandon Brooks and John Runyon or Trey Thomas and John Wellborn. And it's, that's a tough one. I don't know. It's a good problem to have. It's a good conundrum to be presented with. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I'm trying to think what else about this team. Uh, 538. Here you go. Nate Silver's 538. Oh, fuck them. I don't care about what they ah, say. It gives the Eagles a 57% chance of <laughs> making the Super Bowl and a well, then I love it. 5% chance of winning along with the Vikings. So the Vikings only have a 43% chance of getting there, but they have the same... According to whatever simulation, this math doesn't seem to add up, but I also have a 25% chance of so winning. So that's saying that the AFC has a 75% chance of winning the Super Bowl. Uh, 44 on New England, yep. And, he uh, nailed no, the election. No, 50. 44 on New England and 6 on Jacksonville. So this is clearly using, I don't know what they're basing this in. It's too pretty that it broke down 50-50 by conference. Yeah. So. I'll, I'll say this. I... I believe in a thing, and my I've come up. And with you were right, nineteen percent chance of the Jaguars winning. So you were that's you were awesome. Spot on. There you go. Wait, really? Eighty-one, eighty-one, nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say I have a thing that I call the disease of doubt, which is when someone makes such a bad decision on one thing that I can't listen to them ever again. And that was like what happened with the with Sashi Brown and the Browns when they passed on Carson Wentz. I called it the disease of doubt. That and Deshaun Watson, that no matter how good of a team he built with Miles Garrett and all that, you couldn't trust him again. When Nate Silver got the election that wrong, I can never listen to him again. Because if you're going to get that wrong, are you going to go super political on me right now? No, 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 no. But I was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna defend Nate Silver. because as someone who I'm a, I turn into a full-on political geek uh, in election years, right. he was one of the few. He gave Hillary, I think, heading into the election day. But he was one of the few to point out that Trump had a chance. And he was very upfront about that. And he took a lot of heat because I think their site had like a 78% chance of Hillary winning on election day. Something like that. Most places, he was about 10 points lower than most places for Hillary. So what happened was I, his odds aren't wrong. And you and Russ just had this conversation. Well, I'll take 20 percent. I'll take that. Well, 80 percent's the other way. 20 percent's a real chance. Like 20 percent is not yeah, but here's a total thing. long shot. And hold on. But the point was he his those numbers are odds. It's not saying, hey, Trump's he was very clear about saying Trump has a chance here. And. Trump got very narrow victories in a few key states, and he still wound up losing the popular vote. So it's not like all these polls that predicted Hillary were off, they were just off slightly. And Nate Silver actually had more, you know, had Hillary with a less chance of winning than almost every other poll. So I know he's getting shit, but the whole, what I think people, and this is even in sports, and, and sports media people do this a lot. I'm not, I'm, I don't mean you, um, but they look at numbers and they say, well, you know, 80%, that person was wrong. They gave it an 80% chance. Or the line said they were three-point favorites and they lost by two. Like, the line's wrong. No. All these things are, are exactly. percentages and odds. Like, oh, the 20% oh, like chance is, is reasonable, and, and Trump won. If And if you play that scenario out 10 times, yes. does Hillary win 7 of 10? Probably. You Kyle, know, it, me, me and you are very similar in a—we're very different in some things, but we're very similar in the fact that I don't— We both like any, rap. <laughs> <laughs> we both like well-timed uh, well jokes. Um, no, I, I don't believe it. Like, I don't look at numbers and think they're fact. I like to look at everything with a very interesting lens and try and figure out the point. I don't understand the point why people need to know the percentage chance of winning. When the game starts, it's 50-50. Like, I've never, like, like that whole, that whole, like, needing a model for odds, it's like, especially in a game of football where the sample sizes are so low, 
you know, like in baseball, I find the, 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 the playoffs are very easy to predict because you have this huge sample size. Bet football, I, the sample sizes are so low that even Nate Silver would say that these numbers aren't, like, reliable. I just See, I, I, would don't... Ar- I would argue the other. I would argue the other side of that. I would say baseball, the, the, the regular season, you have a huge sample size. But then it's just thrown, you just throw all those cards up in the air because you have five and seven game series. Like, what makes right. a good, any baseball team can win on any night if you have a good pitcher. Kind of similar in hockey if you have a good goalie. Like, there's a lot more, like, variance. But over the course, if the, if the baseball playoffs were a best of... I don't know, 27 series, right? They would be super easy to predict because you have this data and you can plug it in. But because it's so compressed and anything can happen in one or two games to influence the outcome, that's why there are people who are like, who will tell you that, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're the best team in baseball because all all it takes is one bad pitching outing and your whole season's done, especially in those five-game series. Whereas football, yeah, you don't have the, you don't have the sample size and certainly it's it's one game. But football is a sport where – football and basketball, where the more talented team – it's easier to it's easier to marry having more talent and winning on a one-game basis than baseball or hockey where fluky things can, like, more more frequently impact the result of the game. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's no, that's my take on it. Yeah, I just – But a hot goalie know, it, or pitcher could, could do damage, where in football you need – Yes, you can get weird bounces, but generally yeah. speaking, the cream will rise. Oh, totally, and, and, and a, a seven-game series takes away a lot of the odds. It, the right. seven-game right. series That's, favors yeah. the favorite so much more, whereas the underdog has such a better chance in a one-game series, which is why the Jaguars can beat the Patriots and the Eagles can beat the Vikings. Right. I don't. Uh, I don't hate. I don't hate the. I don't hate these numbers the way. I don't hate them the way you do. I think they give you a good. Hate's a strong word. No, I think they check our, you know, your biases going into the game. Um, Like, I was all in Friday night, Saturday morning following the line movement on the Eagles game. And sure enough, it was really really interesting. We did a couple posts about it last week. Over 70% of the money and over 70% of the bets were on the Falcons all week. That is high. I know that's public money before the big money comes in. That made you, me so confident when I bet on the Eagles. Well, yeah, and but usually when it's that high, the line will move at least half a point. But it was, it was, it got some places. It opened to two and a half, and then it stuck at three, and it stuck at three for most of the week in most places. So despite not only all the bets, but even a higher percentage of public money coming on the Falcons, the fact that the line didn't move off three which is a tough number to move off of because it's one of the three, six, and seven, as Bob had pointed out to me the other day, or are the you know typical margin, you know, margin of victories in the NFL. So three is a tough number to move off of. But the fact that all this money and all the bets were coming on the Falcons heavily all week and it didn't move told you that Vegas expected um, the Sharps or to come in on the Eagles or that the Sharps had already yep. indicated they were on the Eagles. And sure enough, late Friday night, early Saturday morning, you started seeing um, you started seeing the Eagles get very expensive at three points. And then all of a sudden everywhere around between 2 a.m. and 7 a.m. flipped to 2.5. And that, you know, that was your indication that, okay, all these people with these deep pockets and high powered computer simulations who were betting hundreds of thousands of dollars at different sports books, they, you know, they like the Eagles here, and that's where the money. Like, so I know those things don't play the game, and when you get on the field, it's fifty-fifty. 
uh, and people were commenting like, well, unless the game's fixed, none of this matters. And th that is true, but I like, I like the fact that you have these indications where you know, there are computer models that play this stuff out and say, hey, the, you know, these are the chances aren't as bad or aren't as good as you think. And like, I don't know. I, I find that stuff interesting, even though it, it ultimately becomes uh, becomes meaningless. Exactly. It's, it's good fodder for Monday. I don't want to hear about it on Sunday. You know what I hate? What? Those people, whenever there's a huge turn of events, and I'm, you might be had the Saints one yesterday, you may have been able to find these, those win probability graphs. Oh yeah, I'm it's, sure yesterday's was like hundred, right? And it, you know, it, but it's like, oh, you know, with with two minutes to go, they had a two percent chance. And now look at this line; like that annoys me because I'll tell you what annoys me more than win probability graphs. The, the every time that a team loses, I have to go on Instagram and see someone throwing a large television out their window. Like <laughs> the the fact it, it's so predictable now. You know, it's like. Right after the draft, and there's tweets that people find about Wendell Smallwood saying that he eats butt. Like, it's just, you know it's going to happen now, and then eventually I get tired of it. I like things the first time. I don't like things a third time. I, like, um, reaction, the reaction video you just talked about on the loss, on the win. I went on YouTube. I thought, all right, there's got to be YouTube, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. I was like, there's got to be countless videos from the stadium, from living rooms, of people going nuts on the, on the fourth down play for the Eagles. And what I quickly found on YouTube is that now that like these reaction videos have become have sort of jumped the shark, it was less organic and it was more like here's a 12 year old kid who set yes. up a camera and is clearly watching his DVR and wants yes. to react and jump off the wall and you could tell it was fake and you're like God damn these used to be cool and now you're trying you know now you got to sit there and like look look at the daylight is it light out did they record this the next right. morning like look at right. it is there a clock in here to see what time it really is dude it's it look that's everything in our culture right now is no one is enjoying it in the moment they have to capture it because it's not worth it unless it doesn't go viral and i don't want to sound like an old man because i feel like the last few days everything i say has been like i, I was explaining to sims's daughter why she shouldn't watch logan paul i was like you gotta stop watching this guy like i'm becoming this old crotchety person and it's funny and it's awful at the same time but the win probability thing and like i love innocence 25 seconds left the makeup artist that does Sims and myself came out and it's 25 seconds left in the Saints Vikings game. And she goes, why aren't you guys excited? There's 25 seconds left. It's a close game. And we're like, Woody, the game is over. Like, this is annoying. We just got to wait for this to end. And then that fucking play happens with six seconds left. And she, and we all looked at her and we're like, how did you know? But like, that's, that's the great part of sports is when you can't predict it. There's no probability. It's an Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary. It's the miracle in Minnesota. It's the miracle in the Meadowlands. Something that you can't predict is why we watch. Can I just say, since uh, oh. you're talking about Russ. people being, being omniscient, so our one-year-old has had a fever all weekend, and we were watching that Pittsburgh and Jacksonville game. I think it was like the and first he or you second. And he turned Blake Borle sucks, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, I think it was the first drive or second drive. He started, uh, he like pointed at the TV, and then three seconds later, Jacksonville picked up a first down. So I'm like, okay, that's just like a weird coincidence. The next, the, like literally the next play, he points at the TV, they pick up another first down. I'm like, all right, this is a little bit weird. And then like a full five seconds, uh, he starts clapping. I'm like, buddy, there's nothing going on yet. And they scored a touchdown. So I don't know if fevers cause, you know, uh, future future reading. Yeah. But uh, I was 
I was super excited because uh, I should have started dropping some some serious cash on first downs. Did he yeah. bust out his win probability chart seconds. for you? Russ, you, he, Russ was, he was really excited. Russ, you really did you know that you could bet on first downs? Can you? No, that's ridiculous. No. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's there's some bookie somewhere who's saying I'll take that bet. Uh, uh, for, like play by play first down betting. You, that's wild. You wait until the gambling becomes legalized. I guarantee you, you'll be able to bet on that stuff. With all the prop bets that exist, I find yeah. it hard to believe that that's not already a thing. Whoa, hey, by the way, worldwide genocide because I didn't get to do it before. Uh, we actually had a new iTunes review. Okay, that's not worldwide Can genocide. I, no, we're right. All right, so let me drop this really quick. Um, we are oodles is the one who left this. The tagline is. A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y Z five stars, with the comment <laughs> "Love Alpha Bet." That's it. That's that's legitimately a five star review. For those who are wondering, we are now up to two hundred ninety eight five star ratings. Two hundred ninety eight, two away from a beautiful three hundred. We've got th- uh, two hundred thirty one reviews in iTunes. Don't forget if you haven't done it yet. Get into Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called. Leave us a five-star review. And when we get to 500, Kyle will give something away from the website. Yeah. We, have to, uh, we have to get 300 before next week. It's the Can't play the game. We're going to have to get 300. Yeah. All right. That was uh, fun. So, uh, sorry I, I, uh, I was like the Saints in that. You know, I, I missed the first half, but I came, I came back in the second. On Wednesday, can we please talk about Markel Fultz's shot and how everybody's taking shots at the beat reporters on Twitter, except for the great Kevin Kincaid, who's now uh, gotten himself put out there by uh, by competition and by some uh, bigger hundred something thousand dollar or hundred thousand follower outlets. Wait, what's going on? What about Kevin? Oh, nothing. You said not to talk about the Sixers today. No, no, I want to know what Kevin did. Well, Kevin took some uh, some videos of Fultz um, yes. breaking some threes, yeah, right? Post about it. And so some of his videos got picked up by uh, Derek Bodner, who posted it on one of his uh, his things. And there was a Twitter account that I forget the name of that uh, Jeff put in Slack, but it's got 115,000 Twitter followers. And he uh, he said to check out the videos on Kevin's timeline. So, so yeah, Kevin, uh, Kevin, I actually thought was very measured in his tweeting of uh, the three pointer. That's I, because Kevin is measured. Like the, he is, he is. But is there, he only had one that, really bad video in there. I don't know. I think there were other ones that were, were not good. So I, I know we don't want to get into this because it's the end, of, and you guys are getting ready to wrap. But there, there's this interesting thing that's happening where where beat reporters have been tweeting out these videos of faults, and people are getting upset now that they're actually reporting on it and they're showing video mm-hmm. and it comes back to if if Fultz is such a mess that he he looks this bad or whatever 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 it's going to be the optics of the situation are if you're going to put him in front of the media it means that he's got to be getting ready to come back and you know Kyle Newbeck was getting called out on Twitter as being like somebody who's trying to bury him and some of the other beat guys were too Kevin's like the most level-headed human being I think I've ever seen follow a beat and if there's somebody who's not going to, uh, you know, be influenced one way or the other, it's him. Uh, the Fultz thing is interesting. We're gonna have to see how it progresses the next few days. But um, Kevin's very, very level-headed about it. And like ultimately, when I st- when I watch some of the videos of Fultz, all I keep thinking is he might not be able to shoot consistent jumpers, and the and the form might be a mess right now. But they really need his playmaking skills, and they need him back. Yeah, the, the- that'll be. That'll be Wednesday. You t- yeah, real quick, you talked about the optics of it all. The, 
people have to understand with the way the Sixers handle the media, um, this isn't the media trying to pile on faults. The the way they do it is the Sixers practice. The media is in a media workroom. And then for like the last 10 minutes of practice, the media is allowed to come in when they're winding things down. And it's mostly guys just dicking around or occasionally like a, a, a small scrimmage or, you know, one last drill. So the media gets over to the, this, the corner of the court and they get 10 minutes to watch practice and they're allowed to take out their cameras and all that stuff. So they only get to see a very small part. For a while, it would just kind of be nonsense, and you see guys shooting around and you know sticking around late and running a few drills or whatever. So t- the way the six are structured is, hey, here's here's like your photo op for the day, and we'll make a few players available. Um, which you could say is like if you're talking about the way we cover stuff and like the whole access type of journalism, it's maybe not the best thing because you allowed a team to dictate, okay, here's what we're going to allow you to film today, and this is going to be your content and. You know, the Phillies notoriously would roll out play. You know, like, here's the game. It's kind of like what the Eagles do. Right, yeah, like, 100%. Like training camp and everything. All teams, so news organizations. Yeah, because if you think about traditional television, if you get 40 seconds of practice video, then you're good for like two days. Right. Because and, you're, you're barely using it. Right, and you allow the team or organization, they get to control the message. So you can argue as to whether that's the best way to cover something. But the point is, when all these guys go out there, what was interesting starting a week ago before they went to London is no one had seen Fultz do anything. And then all of a sudden the Sixers had a Fultz update and there he is. Like the Sixers were well aware that if Fultz was out there at that time, that these videos are going to wind up everywhere. So it's interesting that they put the media out there and now they're putting Fultz out there shooting at this time. Like they could very easily just have him not out there when the media comes in. And the so they're serving him up on a platter. Here he is. And, t- and he still doesn't look good. So it's not really the media's fault. Like the Sixers are saying, here he is, here's Fultz playing. They know exactly what the media is going to do. They put him on the court, the second court, which is, a, you, that's why all these shots look far away. There's a, there's two courts and he's on the uh, opposite end, but you know, everyone still is able to get video of him and he doesn't look good. So they're not, this is not a media generated thing. This yeah, is, the Sixers are serving him up and it, it is what it is. Yep. It's not a slander campaign. And so like, um, it's interesting that you say like they put him out there and it's true. They've put him out there. Oddly enough, the one guy who could, you know, I don't know, shed some light on the situation who got brought in to have good relationships is still the guy that we haven't heard a, a damn thing from. And it's a shame. Brian Colangelo, wherever you are, I don't know if they left you in London or not, but, uh, I think it's about time you, uh, put a, a microphone in front of your face and actually answer some questions about your number one pick that you traded, uh, a considerable couple of assets for like, I, I think it's, I think it's time. It's been enough hiding. It's been enough changing the, the narrative around it. Brian Colangelo is doing the exact same thing that Sam Hinkie got crucified for in the city. And it's a shame. I Brett agree. Brown once, once again is, is getting put out there. And, and the crappy thing is like, I think a lot of us are feeling that at some point Brett might end up being the, uh, the fall guy, the scapegoat. And he's done nothing over these past, like going on four seasons then answer practically every difficult question and be the really the only front-facing guy. You know, we haven't heard from the agent. We haven't heard from Fultz. We haven't heard from Colangelo. We haven't heard from Josh Harris or David Blitzer. We haven't heard from Scott O'Neill. Any of these people could have taken some heat off of this kid. We did hear from David and, Blitzer during and, the London game, and he recounted the people that he used to live near Kensington Palace, which yep. I can only imagine what sort of house that was. So it's just, it's that that's kind of a shame. And I feel bad for Fultz, and I feel bad that, like, 
no matter what happens, there is no positive ending to this that doesn't involve him getting back out on a basketball court and showing people why he was the number one overall pick. Yeah. I'm cool. I feel bad for him, but I, I, I think there's some blame to go to the player here. I, I don't like something. This is such a weird, this, something feels off. I, I don't know. Like something feels really off with him. It's beginning to be, it's it now, like I'm now concerned about him and we could talk about that Wednesday. That'll be Wednesday. I'm a little concerned. He's a kid. Yeah. He's 19. I'm a little concerned about that shot. Like that looks like me at the gym when the like, shot put? Well, you know, like the shot put from three. Yeah. My so basketball like, playing days are left to like, you know, showing up at the gym and shooting around by myself. And on some days I could hit three and four out of seven threes, five out of eight threes and feel good about myself. And on other days I'll show up and I'm like my arm, like I, I feel like, you know, like my arms are elastic and I can't, I can't put the ball in the vicinity of the cylinder. And he looked like some of his shots. That's what it looks like, which is concerning when you're the number one pick of the NBA draft. Like the muscle memory should be a little bit more ingrained, and they're they're trying to like undo it and rebuild it. It looks like, and it is not. I don't know, man. Something something looks off. It really that does. latter description about like not being able to hit the cylinder. Isn't that what uh, Jenkins did in the last NCAA tournament for Nova? What? And on that, I love how he ends. I love how he ends with a shot of the guy with the biggest shot in the history of college basketball. Yeah, right. like, like, let's take a swipe <laughs> at the guy who had literally Look, the I have biggest to be, shot. I have to be myself, ever. right? I have to. Um, that's what I'm here unbelievable. for. Unbelievable. Last minute shots, worldwide uh, genocide. Well, Eagles, beautiful. Vikings. The I don't know who's going to win. The Eagles yet. beat the Falcons. Let's go. They're going to win. By the way, the Eagles are going to win against Minnesota. <laughs> Wrap it, Adam. All right. They're going to win. This was a potpourri of emotions. And if you don't think it continues Wednesday, then you don't know the Crossing Broadcast. You can find Russ online at Joy on Broad, Kyle online at Crossing Broad, or Adam online at Adam Lefko, a.k.a. the Divorcee that's ready with the Forsay. We'll see you Wednesday, where Russ will continue to elaborate on why Brian Colangelo is a secret agent and isn't to be trusted. Until then... Thanks for listening, and happy day.